Coming to you live from the mountains. Dude, so I was looking at the uh, I didn't hill. even finish my sentence. I thought you were going to finish it for me. We always finish each other's sentences. Isn't that We're the lanky guys. And this is the word on the hill. This is actually like a, like a hill of hills. Is that what you were going to say? I didn't no. mean to cut you off. No, I was actually going to talk about clouds. <laughs> That's what I figured. Okay, my name is Dr. Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Muzzin. And this is the podcast. Okay, cloud away. Okay, so um, I was talking with Gage Shirley, one of the full-time staff up here at Camp Wojtyla, and We're we, up at Camp Wojtyla, by the way. We're at Camp Wojtyla, and uh, They don't care, really. And we were talking about how clouds were forming off of Long's Peak and coming over here. And so you could point, actually, how the clouds were forming in different geological formations. It's been really fun. Father Peter, so Gage has a, d- a degree from the University of Kansas in meteorology, and Father Peter has a book on clouds. Which <laughs> no, that came out that came out sounding differently than I thought it would. <laughs> Father Peter's really into clouds. The, the, well, anybody who knows best. you knows that if Father Peter is into something, he's in all the way. Yeah. You're you're gonna go. You're gonna find out everything there is to know about. You even worked into your homily today at mass. I did. It's great to be giving I, you this mass, standing in the shadow of the cumulus. Strato cumulus. Strato cumulus. Dude, it was really funny because I was talking to to, uh, to Gage, and I was like, and Gage was like, "Hey, you brought up points that I didn't know about the density of water particles within a cumulus cloud." And I was like, "Yes." If it had only been for Amazon, Gage's degree, <laughs> degree, been that much more powerful. Hey, but guess what? We are hidden into Pentecost. Yeah. Yeah, we are. It's Pentecost. I feel like I've asked like every week, is it Pentecost yet? And it's not been. <laughs> it's not been. Because I forget how long the Easter season really is. It's long. It's long. Which is awesome. I mean, it's it's the, uh, somebody, I was, did I tell you I was talking to a student and I was explaining how East, the Easter season is so much longer than the Lenten season because there's a pedagogy behind that. And he's like, so it's like the anti-Lent. <laughs> I was like, kind of. <laughs> But I've been thinking of it that way in my head. Uh, is Pentecost its own sort of liturgical reality? It is. Uh, yes, it's its own thing. So and it's then, not and in then, ordinary time. No, it's not like it's not like the first Sunday of ordinary time, which we already have, have like. We'll we'll start with like the 17th Sunday in ordinary time or something. Interestingly enough, small fun fact: I was at a uh, an Orthodox Jewish wedding over the weekend. Wow! And I found out that um, Pentecost for the Jewish community is celebrated on Tuesday. This past t- so yesterday we're recording this on no. Yeah, we're recording this on Wednesday. So the Jewish people celebrated Pentecost yesterday. Shavah is the name of that. The oh, yeah. Holiday. Because if you remember, Pentecost, which is factors into the podcast, was a very important Jewish holiday prior to it becoming the birthday of the church in a certain sense. And as that holiday, wasn't it one where it was like mandatory pilgrimage to Jerusalem? Yeah, it's one of the three mandatory pilgrim feasts, right? So I think it's Tabernacles, Pentecost, and Passover. Dude, TPP, TPP, you know me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, let's uh, jump in. Our first reading is from Acts 2. Oh my gosh, somebody mispronounced Acts the other day and... Uh, oh, it was like it was like uh, ox of the apostles. No, ox no. of the apostles, <laughs> or it was like, or it was like um, acts of the apostate, or something like. It was something what? that I, I can't really? remember. Yeah, yeah. It was like, and the way they during said mass, it, yeah, like it was, in the it was one of the lectors, and and they just mumbled the words such that it sounded. Like, oh no, acts of the prostate. No, no, I know what it was. It was ass of the apostles, <laughs> and I just. 
thought it was the do we funny. need to do i need to edit that no, can we keep that in there i don't know I mean, it was set at mass it was so. set at mass i guess so. it's out there in the world now <laughs> just, oh my god so it's acts of the apostles <laughs> chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 yeah there we go just, just let, let that that's sit there. that's like balaam's ass yeah balaam balaam however you want to call yeah, it yeah yeah dude <laughs> all right <laughs> Uh, psalm, our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm number 104, verses 1, 24, 29 through 30, 31, and 34. We are really all over the board on Psalm 104 this yeah, week. No, you and, no, yeah. and the response is coming from verse 30. Leading us into this segundo lectura, which is 1 Corinthians mm. chapter 12, verses 3b to 7, mm. jumping all the way to 12 and 13. Yeah, yeah. Did you read the intermediate? I did not. Of course I did. Our gospel is, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> Our gospel is coming from the gospel of John chapter 20, verses 20, I'm sorry, verses 19 through 23. I, I am through, I have to confess to everyone. I am so thrown off because we're hand holding our mics because we're, we're recording this up at Camp Voitiwa. We're in the wilderness in a tiny cabin. Um, it, it feels very strange to me. I'm looking at the readings on my phone and hand-holding the mic, which is so abnormal for me in this podcast, and I don't know what to do with you, it. You so I just have to, I have to clear the air Actually, and in fact, to my awkwardness. Funnily enough, Scott is using the microphone I normally use, and I'm just using Just to add his. to that, I'm getting spit all over it. <laughs> oh, thanks. The second Sunday of Ordinary th- time. Thinking Time. Dude, <laughs> well, it's, it's, we usually Sorry. use spit guards, and so if it pops and... and on our P's and T's, then we apologize. So Acts of the Apostles. Apologize. Um, this is like the great moment of Pentecost. This is the fulfilled. grand moment. <laughs> yeah. Wow, you sound enthusiastic. Well, this is important. So Pentecost, do you know what Pentecost uh, is a celebration of in the Hebrew tradition? It's uh, the moment when Moses won in the game Pente against Aaron. And it's going to cost him. <laughs> 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 so Father Peter Yes Do you know what Pentecost celebrated in the Jewish tradition? It's the 50 days after Passover Okay And they celebrate the first fruits Yeah it, Well it, it's a funny thing um, It's a twofold celebration So originally Anciently Like ancient ancient It was a, sort of a Thanksgiving feast For lack of a better way to put it It was a celebration of the first fruits Right So they bring turkeys and corn Here with is Indians. our turkey Yes, but from India because the least, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, um, did we say the response oral? Are we on second second reading it? No, we haven't even done the first reading at all. What are you talking about? We didn't even talk about it. Oh, we we named them, but we called them out though. What they were? Sorry, we had to pause and I lost my train of thought. Well, you you are really you are in a totally different. I am. I am running hard these days. There's a lot going on in my life right now. I'll fess up to all of you guys, all y'alls. Oh, y'all peoples. Well, hey, dude, okay. that's that's good. So Pentecost, yes. Number one, so it was it was a harvest feast. It was a first fruits. But and and actually that's not even really recognized today. So um and this was by the time of Jesus, it was twofold. Yes, it was the harvest, first fruits. But do you remember what else it celebrated? This is much more well, it's not more important, but it's um very significant for our Christian understanding of Pentecost. And maybe we can work backwards, Socratically. What do you think? Can, um, I, can I mess with you? Yeah, yeah, mess with me, man. Not I'm, mess with you, but can I Socratically get you there? <laughs> Socratic. I don't mean it dis- condescendingly. Dude, it's never condescending. I know it's not. Socrates. Okay, thanks, Socrates. Okay, so, so, Socrates. So let, let's go backwards. 
What is Pentecost for us as Christians? Pentecost is the celebration of the descent of the Holy Spirit at 9 a.m. in the morning. Oh, that's right. It was 9 a.m. Well, we don't know how long it took for the Spirit to... Yeah, I mean, they, they, they could have been a vigil, but at 9 a.m. they yeah. left the house. Fair enough. Okay, so it's the giving of the Holy Spirit. Where are they at the time? Um, they are in the upper room. Okay. The centicle, as they would most likely say. Oh, the centicle. Who's up there, by the way? Um, well, we know that the 12 and perhaps Mary is there. Um, we know that we know for a fact that Mary is there. That's amazing. Is it? It is. Yeah, I guess it is. Um, can I show you why? Yeah. Well, let's get there in a second. I'll, we'll go back to that. Okay, okay. So they're in the upper room. It's the giving of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit though? The it Holy is, Spirit is this, uh, this thing that looks like flame. And it's uh, hovering above everybody's heads. Dude, I thought this we is, could... this, I know this is really funny because that's what like, like this is one of your favorite things to talk about. Oh no, I don't like talking about this anymore. Oh, the, the tongue thing. Yeah. 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 I've, I've, uh, I'm exhausted by the tongue thing. Okay. I don't want to talk about tongues of fire today. <laughs> you guys are getting like this most raw version of the podcast ever. We're yeah, not, we're just going to throw this out there. It's totally unedited. I thought we could get there backwards, but it's it's more difficult than I anticipated. Because <laughs> so I know all the answers. No, no, because it's 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 less clear. I mean, it, it is totally clear in hindsight, but it's hard to. Well, this so is the, the thing: is is that the Holy Spirit is the the Paracletus that was uh, promised by Jesus, if that he when he ascended, he would send another Advocate, which means Paracletus, one who walks with. So we're, we're by the time that the Holy Spirit descends, we have no idea what the Holy Spirit actually is. Well, what does the Holy Spirit give us, though? What does it do for us? Because this is kind of the key to it. Um, I don't. Because I mean, the Holy Spirit I is. Mean, I could go catechism on you, but well, here's the thing: the Holy Spirit is a New Testament equivalent of something in the Old Testament. The spirit of prophecy that was descended well, upon the people, the see, 70 that's, elders. That's what's so difficult because the Holy Spirit is a lot of things, right? That's why that's there's not a one-to-one because he's a lot of different aspects and fulfillments. But the reason it's so significant for Pentecost, and I'll just cut to the chase, Pentecost for the <laughs> Jewish people, and I was reminded of this in such a profound way that somebody literally at the wedding I was at this weekend stood up and proclaimed how amazing it is that the married couple is going to celebrate their first Pentecost together as a, a Mary, as a husband and wife in the Jewish tradition, which is just kind of beautiful to watch. And they pointed out, you know, Pentecost, and it's so beautiful that this husband and wife are going to get to celebrate this because Pentecost, we remember when Moses received the law from God on Mount Sinai. It's the moment that we remember when God gave, you mentioned it in your homily today, talking about the Ark of the Covenant. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? Well, one of the things was the stone tablets that God wrote with his very finger. Right. The finger of God right. giving us the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. That's what Pentecost remembers. And part of why it was combined with the harvest feast is because that is the first fruits of what God gives us. I mean, that is the that is the the cream of the crop, right? God gives us so many gifts, but his law in the Jewish tradition, his word to us, that is paramount. That that trumps everything else, right? He gives us his word. So the reason this is significant is because, well, what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God's new law. The Holy Spirit gives us so right. much freedom right. from sin, the spirit of prophecy, all of those things. That's why you can't directly get there. Right. But it's significant if you know what Pentecost is in the Hebrew right. tradition. It's the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now there is a new law that's being given. And the Holy Spirit is now going to be God's law, not written on stone tablets, but the very finger of God writing his law on our hearts which is what the Holy Spirit does. So isn't it amazing that on this feast that they're celebrating Moses giving, getting the law from God and giving it to us, now they're in another upper place. Upper place, Mount Sinai, it's not 
quite a quote. There, there's a little bit of elevation there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's some elevation there. And the Holy Spirit descends just like God's word did, hmm. descending on Mount Sinai. And if you remember in Act in uh, Exodus, what accompanied God's word when it came down on Mount Sinai? The Shekinah. Well, the fire. Well, the fire. Right? Oh, the so flame. Yeah. The flames. And so what's manifest in the apostles? Tongues of fire. Because fire accompanies the giving, the giving of God's law. So all of this imagery is coming together and you're like, oh my gosh, it's really beautiful. But that comes back, that brings us back to why I asked how many people were in the room, which I'll get to in a second because I see there's a deep thought in your heart. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just thinking like when Moses came down, he, he had, because he had been face to face with God, he glowed. And yeah, he, and, right. And he had to veil his face. Did you say he had to veil his face? Yeah, he got to veil. He got his to face. He had to did his No, you didn't say that. Oh, I, <laughs> silly. He had to veil his face, which <laughs> is interesting because now rather than the apostles having to veil their faces after the descent of the spirit upon them, it's actually a profound unveiling. Yeah, brilliant. Awesome. You know what I mean? Like like yes. it's, it, the the glory of God is so out of control. Yes. It's so wild. Now. And what is unveiled? Apocalypto. Mm, that's the word unveiled. But what is it that is being unveiled on that day? The the salvation of man? Well, there's something very specific, though, because what happens after they receive the Holy Spirit? They baptize. What do the apostles do before that? They speak in tongues. Yes. Why? Because what, is it, what does that do, though? What does their speaking in tongues accomplish? Oh, evangelization of all the nations. Yeah. So what's unveiled is actually language. Confusion of words are actually brought back oh. together. It, it, it really, in a very real sense, this is an un, this is a um, a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Absolutely, when which people, is in the prayers. Absolutely right. When God saw, when the people sought to make this tower in glory of themselves, an elevated place, right? Their own law, their own name. Now that's reversed, and the punishment for that was a confusion of language. Now language is unveiled, and we can see each other in our words and communicate for, for who we are. That's one of the things. that It's just striking that you said that. That's why I thought of it, because yeah. I was like, that's really beautiful, because that yeah. is what's unveiled. Right. We are unveiled to one another. The body of Christ is unveiled to herself, oh. which is actually is going to connect us to the second reading, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So that's all going on, which is cool. But then we ask this question, who's in the upper room? Well, we know the apostles are there. But if you go back to chapter one, so we're in chapter two of Acts. If you go back to chapter one, remember we had this great moment where um, the apostles had to choose a replacement for Judas, who had committed suicide after realizing what he had done. And it says when they were choosing the replacement, it's in chapter 1, verse 15. This is really important. It says, in those days, Peter stood up among the brethren. And it says the company of persons was in all about 120. Oh. And he said scripture has to be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, the so this room is very like specific. a banquet room, man. This is a big room. And then it says in chapter 2, when they were all together. So presumably, it's the same. So you have the 12 apostles, right? The women, I'm sure Mary is there, and the other disciples, the 72 or what's left of them, right? So there's about 120. And I think the reason, well, that it says there's about 120, I always wonder about this, but this is an interesting thought because um, the, the scriptures and, and specifically the Jewish mindset doesn't like to talk about it's about some, something or it's approximately something. Numbers 
numbers are very specific in the Hebrew mindset. Because right? they, they designate quality, not necessarily quantity. And so you want to have a specific quality um, denoted. So I think the reason that it says there's about 120 is because, and this is my theory on this, and I've gleaned this from others. I think there's supposed to be 120. But at the moment that we're introduced to those 120, something's wrong in the community. Do you remember what's the problem? No. It's what Acts chapter 1 is all about, solving. There's one apostle missing. There's supposed to be 12 apostles. At this moment, there's 11 apostles. And I wonder if there's something in there as to why it says there's about 100. There's supposed to be 120, but they're still in the process of replacing that one. Well, why does that matter? Well, it matters that there's 12 apostles because Jesus chose 12 because they embody the 12 tribes, right? Being reunited. Right. But if you think about this, and that's the group, then, and then they, they, um, Mattathias is chosen to be the replacement for Judas. Now we have 12 again. The 10, got it. What is Pentecost? It's the gathering of all the nations. No, 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 I mean, no, no, no. gathering of all of Israel. Go backwards, backwards. In the Hebrew tradition, what does it celebrate? It celebrates the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Before that, what's the other thing that you had mentioned first? First fruits. First fruits. Who's gathered in that upper room? 120 people. Of that 120 people, who are the shepherds of that community? 12. 12. What is 12 out of 120? It's a tenth. It is literally a tithe. What do you do on the Feast of First Fruits? You tithe. Oh. You give a tenth of all that is yours back to the service of God. What's happening on Pentecost that day? There's 120, and 12 of them, I believe, receive the Holy Spirit. As a t- uh, They all receive the Holy Spirit. But I think it's the apostles that actually have the teaching authority to do what they do. It is the churches tie the first fruits back to God on the Feast of First Fruits. So I think the number 120 is very significant in the context of Passover, in the context of Pentecost. I think that it's uh, really cool too, because to have 10 is 10 for the Hebrews would be what is the, I mean, we see that as the law. Yeah, so, absolutely. So you basically have a head and nine members of a tribe. The 10 commandments. Yeah. There's also in the very beginning in Genesis, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow in our class. In Genesis, there are 10 times in the story of creation when it says, and God said, let there be light. And God said, da, 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 da. 10 times, 10 words, which is actually partially why the 10 commandments were sort of intuitive because God speaks in tens. Anyway, that's another aside, but 10 is, is a really significant number. Yeah. So, th- so th- that's really, that's cool. There's like a fullness of the sense of the gatherings of the tribes. Absolutely. And then, and then I wouldn't be surprised if the, the Holy Spirit rested upon everybody in Absolutely. I think it absolutely did. It rested upon everybody. And, but, and, but yet, and maybe even, they were even all speaking there, in tongues. There was, an equal, there was an equality, yes. yet there's different roles. And like, that's, yeah. the beautiful, that's a beautiful reality. Yeah. I, I mean, they all certainly received the Holy Spirit. That. Yeah, and I don't know exactly what the role of the apostles in particular was on that Pentecost Sunday. But it's a fascinating, uh, yes, yeah, fascinating. That would have been a good night. That would have been a good night. Okay, so that being said, I think that's actually an excellent segue into Psalm 104, which Psalm 104, the the context of where this shows up in the Psalter, I think is really important because if you recall, the Psalter, the Psalter is what we call all of the Psalms together, but the Psalter is split up into five books and they're self-designated. That's how they're given to us, right? And it's been said that the five books of the Psalter, and you can see this before Psalm 1, it says book 1, and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Psalm 72 is book, or Psalm 73 is book 2, and et cetera. And um, if you divide them up, you can tell the story of salvation history through those five books. 
And in the first couple of the books of the Psalms, you get all the Psalms of David and the greatness of the kingdom and the glory of, of the Davidic kingdom and all that they did. But then you get to book three and you start to get a lot of the lamentation Psalms and everything kind of falls apart. And then in book four, you get sort of this desperation Psalms of like, where are you, God? And where do we look for you? And maybe we find you in creation and we see that you're still evident, even though our kingdom has crumbled and there is no David anymore. And then you get to Psalm into book five and which is where our Psalm this week comes from. And you get a lot of the restoration of the Davidic Psalms because book five looks forward to the time that God will restore what was lost. And I think that's such a crucial understanding for knowing why the church chooses this Psalm today. When it says, Lord, send forth your spirit and renew the face of the earth. Think of that Psalm being sung in the darkest moments of Israel's history. Right. That And that's the context which we need to have in mind to know what that psalm is all about. It's, Lord, send your spirit and renew the face of the earth. And I, I've even got the tune playing in the back of my head because it's such this happy psalm and we sing it at mass. But that's composed in a time that God had not sent his spirit. The face of the earth was very, very dark and desperately needed renewing. Mm, and nobody absolutely. knew what that was going to look like. So you have the Hebrew tradition praying and singing this psalm day after day, year after year. And then comes Pentecost, and all of a sudden, this psalm is fulfilled in a way that nobody expected. He sent his spirit. It manifested itself in terms of tongues of fire. And then the apostles go and speak. And what renews the face of the earth? Well, the fact that the apostles are now unveiling the confusion of language. So now all of the earth has the common language of the gospel. That is accessible to it because Jesus himself is the word of God, which is a language that is universal. This is Pentecost is how Psalm 104 is fulfilled because the nations are in gathered and language is the veil is lifted over it. And the, it's just so significant that Pentecost is all about language and we call Jesus the word of God. And I don't know how often I've actually connected the dots on those things. And even even still, it's still a bit confusing. The images are confusing to me, but there's something to that. There's yeah. something to what God chooses to fix at the day of Pentecost. Yeah, and how the psalm speaks to it. Yeah, I, uh, I just, uh, you know, I wonder what Babel really. I mean, like the Tower of Babel really looked like. I wonder in, how in big ancient it art was. it looks like the Tower of Pisa. Have you ever noticed that the leaning <laughs> Tower of Pisa? Doesn't it always look like that? Yeah, yeah there, there's one that I think it looks like the Guggenheim Museum because it's just a continual <laughs> ramp that goes there upward. Never ends. I feel like I had like a Hot Wheels toy that looked like the Tower of Babel where the car <laughs> spun around the outside of it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that thing. Absolutely. <laughs> well, dude, defeat our Babel with your Pentecost, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's not really funny. I don't know why I laughed at that. You just had your tone of voice that it was going to be a joke. I know. It <laughs> well, I was I was going to say bro, but then I said Lord instead. And I, I've like recently, every once in a while, when I have Jesus pray to the Father, like I'll just repeat it and I'll just add a bro in there. <laughs> and it always, it's just like, it, it's, it, I'm it's seriously, I, I hope that the Lord's okay with that because he's just it, shaking his head and it, rubbing it, his face. It always, it always, you know, it brings the theatrics down a little bit. But of I, prayer, the theatrics of prayer. No, no, of scripture. Like you know how like <laughs> oh, theatrical yeah. scriptures are. Like they're Got it. like like it makes it like I'm just trying to humanize the fact that this was a real man who was trying to do stuff. Yeah, I feel you. I like that. Yeah, and and then people go like, oh, okay, yeah, he really said those things. Yeah, really try, even though it it can come off kind of brazen. Yeah, it is a little bit brazen, but that's okay. Hey, let's get into some First Corinthians. First Corinthians. Um, we have to remember that First Corinthians is written to probably one of the most troubled of the Christian communities in the ancient world. 
right? They're a disaster. And, and they're the <laughs> ones that Paul, they get, they seem to get maddest at Paul, right? Because he excommunicates one of them. He calls them a bunch of babies. He, he, he says that so, to the sins children. that are present amongst you were not oh, even found during in the monks of pagans. Yeah. And this is one of the most evil pagan cities in the world at the time. So he's like, you guys are worse. So that's kind of the backdrop. Um, and so there's, there's, I don't want to say there's an accusatory nature to this reading, but but it, it's important to know that what Paul says here, people are really struggling with this. And they're struggling to understand what this looks like in day-to-day life because their sin has clouded their vision in a lot of ways, just like it does ours. I mean, this is pertinent to us. Dude, hold on. How did you, how did you state last night or yesterday um, what sin is? You said that it's the trust. It's the catechism, not me. But oh, it's the, the catechism says this? Isn't it? It's one of the most beautiful lines in the catechism. It says, original sin consists in man let his trust in his creator die in his heart. Dude, that is like so profound Isn't of it? what sin is. The, oh, my, yeah. Trust in your creator dying die in your, in your heart. heart. Like I just, and like, so so you hear about that. And so what when I hear that this is community is sinning, yeah. it's a community that's lost trust in God. And, 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 and Paul's like working them over to get them to trust again so that yes. they can come out of sin, which I think is like, precisely it man like you don't even know i like i know that the cat like i've read the catechism a couple times and yeah. i somehow have managed to miss that and it is so profound yeah it, it really is you're rocking my socks oh yay hooray all right so i i you asked me if i'd read the intervening verse well it starts in b right okay so what is a of that verse um and it's a that can, I mean it's it's so much easier and just cleaner to just start with part B. Right. But we're not going to do the easy clean part. So that's, we're going to start that's with not first. our job. So what Paul is saying to them, and again I, I think this does kind of help put it in context. If you read the first part of this verse, which we won't get in your Sunday readings, it says, uh, "Paul, by the way, is talking about spiritual gifts at this point, which is not insignificant, right? Because what happened at Pentecost? Spiritual gifts are manifested, speaking in tongues and all these things." And in chapter 12, Paul talks about, just like you said earlier, right, about the, it's the whole the one body with many members and many parts. And the foot doesn't get mad that the eyebrow does something and the nose doesn't get upset when the hand has a different role because we all have these roles. And right. not everyone has the gift of, uh, of uh, tongues or, or healing or whatever one. You know, they are, they're all meant for one another, the body of Christ. And again, he's saying all this partially because the Corinthians can't figure out how to make this work together. But all of it should flow back to the day of Pentecost because this is really the moment that those spiritual gifts are, what, unveiled and they're seen. And so Paul is like, okay, don't forget that. And what he says here in verse 3, he says, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God can ever say Jesus be cursed. Even though I just said it, but I read it, so that doesn't count. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So that's where we start. We start with the positive ones. Yeah. Paul starts with the negative one. <laughs> and I wonder why he says that. And I don't know the answer, but you get the sense that there are probably people in Corinth that aren't cursing the Lord's name for some reason or another. And um, I, yeah, I don't. I wonder why he brings because we're not given the historical context in that. Maybe there's. Um, um, Jewish people who are mad at the Christian community for believing in this Messiah that they don't think really is the Messiah. And they're, you know, who knows why this is being said? Or a bunch Paul, of pagans who don't like the, the or, morality that's being poured out. And exactly so they, right. So they're just trying to go at the heart of things. I mean, that's, that's always going to happen and always will happen. And I think the reason that's important for Paul to point out is that it's clear in the letters to the Corinthians that they kind of want to be people pleasers. They want everyone to like them. 
And I think one of the things that Paul is saying is, look, there's people who don't like you and you can't associate with all of those people because there's some real bad juju going on out there. Right. And it's not just everybody's fine. Get along with everybody. Love everyone. Spread the gospel to everyone. But there's also real danger. And there's people who are enemies and really do hate you. And everything's not okay. Right. You know? Um, and then he goes on to say, and you know what? No one he can actually say, and this is important because the Corinthians, I think, are forgetting their true identity right? and how significant this really is. Don't try to be like everybody else because no one can actually say Jesus is Lord except empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so right. if you Corinthians have the, the courage and the grace to say that, recognize where that comes from. You have been empowered in a way that other people have not. Right. And we need to hear that, I think, as Christians. When we proclaim the stuff that we proclaim, when we say the Apostles' Creed at Mass, we can't forget, or the, the Nicene Creed or whatever we say, we can't forget how potent and powerful and, um, and um, uh, uh, threatening those words actually are. Because we're claiming Jesus is Lord of the universe and no one else is. And that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he saves those who he chooses to save and he can heal and, and save people who don't know him. And he has the poss possibility of doing that, but there is no other way. Right. That's a pretty bold thing to say. And I think that's what Paul wants to remind the Corinthians of what you say does not always make you popular. This is a pretty big deal. And it, praise be to God on the day of Pentecost, the apostles, I, I wonder if there were naysayers on the day of Pentecost, when the apostles were going out, when they were preaching, when everyone was hearing the languages, was it this kind of universal utopian moment of like, everyone's like, oh, this is great. Or were there some on the outskirts grumbling and saying, what is this? There's probably one guy in the back who was like, <laughs> blessed are the cheese makers. I, I just picture those two guys from the Muppets. Remember the guys that always sit up? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. What's this all about? What's this all about? Yeah, but I mean, he's he's really talking about the and, spirit of Pentecost being and, poured out on even the likes of us, and then showing how that like this is this is the thing is that the constant the constant temptation of the Corinthians, because they're in Corinth, is to want to exalt themselves more than they actually are because they're in the kind of new money world. Yeah, absolutely. And so what happens is that he says, okay, there's different spiritual gifts, but the same spirit. So even if you're manifesting and you're totally awesome over here, you're part of a community that's wider and bigger. And Absolutely. like, like you, you're not now all of a sudden special because ego I'm sure was a huge part of the culture there. Oh yeah. So he says, so, so God does all these things. And so you can, all you should be looking at is, is God doing great things. And Absolutely. so, so in the spirit is there. So you are proclaiming Jesus Christ is Lord. You have the spirit. <laughs> you're not better than other people. <laughs> I know I hiccuped. That was a big one. It was a really big hiccup. And uh, and then he says, and then and then he calls him into the body. He says, then the, the reality is, is that you're a part of the body. Yeah. So if so, so don't let these divisions like, like which is interesting because we're talking about the 120. We're talking about how like this is the new Israel and like there's a sensitivity. I want to be a part of what's really happening. And like, and like, yeah. it's not, and not just an individual, you're part of something bigger and wider. Yeah. Archbishop uh, uh, Aquila is like, is hitting us with that right now. Yeah, absolutely. He really wants us to be able to participate in the wider reality of the church. Yeah. And Thank I you, think, Archbishop. I think that's the best. It really is. Which, um, I don't know how clean of a segue it is, but that takes us to, <laughs> to the gospel of John. Um, the gospel. I, so this is a short, a little short reading this week and it's. I, it's it's so funny because the way the nature that these work when we have Acts of the Apostles coming first, you're reading you you're forced to read the story backwards. 
right? Because right. the event in John occurs 50 days prior to the events of the first reading. Right. So we're literally doing a flashback. And I, what, I, what I'm struck by in these, um, seeing these two readings, especially the first reading in the gospel side by side, is um, th- I think there's a real juxtaposition. Because in the gospel, you get Jesus, who is um, doing what he's doing, completely in control, completely empowered, and he's doing something, and, and you get the sense, or at least I get the sense, that the apostles are receiving it in a very passive way. And that passivity turns into action when you get to Acts of the Apostles. What Jesus gave to them in the Gospels now comes to life in Acts, which is, of course, where we get the, the whole idea of confirmation from, right? We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit in our baptism, and it's activated at our confirmation, which is what's happening. So in the gospel, it's Easter Sunday, right? It's the day of the resurrection. The apostles don't know what the stink is going on. They're still confused. People went to the tomb. It was empty. The women were saying stuff and everyone's, everyone's in utter confusion, right? So I'm wondering if there's like, I look at this and I mean, there's like something kindred to ordination here. Well, absolutely. Because like we, we talk about how the whole, when, when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in confirmation and in baptism, your soul is permanently changed. So that, yes. that, that as, as the, there is an ontological is tr- shift. Is that true in confirmation? Absolutely, okay. 100%. And the only other time that that's the, the case is in priesthood. Ordination. Yeah, ordination yeah. to the priesthood. So there they are. It's, the, it's Easter Sunday. Everyone's confused. And you know they're confused because the doors are locked. <laughs> I, we don't know where they are. You know, they're probably not in the upper room at this point. Maybe they are. It's, it's unclear where they're staying. Right. Which is strange to me because real estate's got to be pretty tight at um, Passover, in between Passover and Pentecost, right? It's, everything's going to be jammed. There's not, a, there's not a pun there. No. Okay. I thought the way you said jam sounded punnish. But yes. <laughs> No, I, it is, but somehow they've got the space. So they're probably in the upper room. Are you room. saying I'm punishing you? Uh, uh. They're probably in the upper room, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the space that they've acquired. I mean, because so, whoever's whoever had that space was favorable to the apostles yeah, exactly and the disciples. Right. And now they're locking them out. They're locking the door because they're like, we don't want to see anybody. Yeah. So there they are. And Jesus walks through a wall, apparently, or a door, and came and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. And when... When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. This is what Thomas misses. Poor Thomas wasn't there. He did But he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And he said, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to him, them, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, whose sins you retain are retained. This is where the, uh, the ministerial priesthood office of confession that was convoluted. This is where confession comes from. Absolutely. The priests are given there. And he also says the same thing at the last supper. Um, what I'm struck by though, is the response of the apostles of which there is none. Yeah. It's just Jesus. And the apostles are getting breathed on and they're probably like, what? And, and you know that they're, I mean, I, I think we know that they're just like, what's going on? Because they stay locked up for 50 more days. Yeah. He's very clear. He's like, this is me. Your job is to go out. I'm sending you just like the Father sent me. Here's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's the power to forgive and retain sins. And they stay in a room for 50 days. They don't do anything about that. They stay locked up, which tells me they don't get it. They haven't been empowered. So so again, they've received the Spirit. They've gotten all the tools that they need for their priesthood, but it hasn't been unveiled to them apocalypsis apocalypsis uh, you know i was i was thinking like just now like i they're doing stuff because like the truth is is that they're going through and 
the scripture study that the disciples on the road to Emmaus were receiving that like they they went fishing they were kind of there and they're yeah. all like but they're not going out yet but, yeah yeah I but, mean they obviously left the room at times but interiorly they're being totally transformed like 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 this is the thing that's like so wild well we'll take take this a step further so they're being transformed yeah, absolutely that's true but what does it say? It says it breathed, that he breathed on them. And then he said, as the father sent me, so I send you. So there's a, there's a, a likeness of, of what's going on here. Oh. What's Jesus just done? He's just raised, risen from the dead. Oh. Where do you get imagery of breathing upon in the Bible? Well, the first time you see it is when God breathes life into Adam, who was not alive and then became alive. The next time I can think of is in Ezekiel. Remember the dry bones, the valley of the dead bones. God breathes life. Things coming back to life or being born. What's the transformation happening in the apostles? They are in a certain sense spiritually dead after after um, the crucifixion. They are terrified. There's a spirit of fear, a spirit of dread, which are the things that death brings with it. It's that that kind of a spirit. Jesus comes. He breathes upon them and he says, as the Father sent me, so I sent you. How has the Father sent him? To move from death to life. How is he sending the apostles to move from a sort of death and locked up in the tomb of that upper room into the life of bringing a newness to the world through God's word and the apocalypsis of language and bringing the world back to life because they themselves have been brought back to life by the breath of the risen Lord. Does Ooh, that make sense? Yeah. Which I think is kind of cool. It's, yeah. I think I like, that's it. I mean, and, and, and then by doing that, and then we go back to the second reading, the church is born. Absolutely. Because like yes. th- th- this is the thing is, yes. I mean, yes, the, yes, the yes. church is, the church is animated, I should say. And yeah, that's a better brought, way to say it. Brought into one, the one body. I mean, they, they're together, but then. Well, it's already now, there. It does right. exist. It's just not animated yet. Animated is the right word. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's a great, I love the imagery of Ezekiel. There's these bones, but then God's breath causes muscles and sinews and, 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 and blood vessels and everything to form so that it is animated. Right. Life comes to the dead corpse. That's right. Mm. Well, may the spirit descend upon all of you, my friends, Indeed. in a powerful way and bring you to life. And that if you're feeling like, man, I'm low and lost, just keep praying yeah. to the Holy Spirit and yeah. and the Lord will animate you and bring you to life and send you forth. And he'll animate what's already in you, which right. is really kind of beautiful because he's given you in your baptism, those of you who are baptized, He's given you everything you need. It just needs to be brought to life and tapped into. Right. Which is really cool. Yeah. So you're a walking vessel filled with grace that's just waiting to be unleashed. Woohoo! Unleash it. Unleash it. So we're going to unleash ourselves from this podcast. Even though the, in Boulder County, the, the leash laws are very specific. and Yeah, yeah don't unleash them. <laughs> All right. We'll be back next week. Happy Pentecost. Okay. Farewell. Bye. God bless you. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.